Scaling Up Nation, happy Industrial Water Week. Of course, we are celebrating boilers today on this Tuesday. My name is Trace Blackmore. I am the host of the Scaling Up H2O podcast. And all this week, we have a brand new episode for you celebrating each and every day of Industrial Water Week. Yesterday, we talked about pretreatment. As I mentioned, today we're talking about boilers. Tomorrow is cooling. Thursday is wastewater. And then we wrap it all up with careers on Friday. So I hope you caught yesterday's show where we had our opening ceremonies performed by founder of Industrial Water Week, James McDonald. And we talked about some of the things that we're going to do that are a little bit different this year, some things that we're going to try to do so we are including everybody so we can see that we, the Scaling Up Nation, that we, the industrial water treater, are not alone. We are many strong, and we're going to celebrate that. So each and everything that you post to have to do with Industrial Water Week, I want you to hashtag IWW. 20. Now, yesterday I told you about the water cake. I told you the little story about the water cake, how it's got a great history. Well, folks, you can make that cake at any time, but you got to make it at least on Friday. And if you make another cake, that's cool too. But I just thought it would be cool to celebrate a cake where the main ingredient is water and it has a, such a deep history. Folks, it translates all the way back since before the Revolutionary War. It was used as people were going across the country and they could not take perishables with them. And it even has roots in Italy where they would use it for the same reason there that they could take ingredients that were not perishable. Folks, every time I try to search water cake, I find something new about it. So I want you to enjoy this delectable water cake that is going to be the symbol of Industrial Water Week, or at least the cake anyway, that we're going to use this year for Industrial Water Week. And hashtag how yours turns out and maybe sharing it with some of your coworkers or your customers. In fact, when you're in front of a boiler today, I want you to hashtag IWW20. I want you to put things out there in social media so we can all share in the celebration. So it's my hope that each and every day we are learning something new about the topic that we are on. So today is all about boilers and with boilers, of course, we know that we are putting heat into the system to use for something further down the process. It might be for making widgets. It might be for heating a facility. You know your account. You know what that steam is used for. And if you don't, it doesn't matter how good your program is running. If you don't understand the equipment that your program is running in, you do not understand your program. Well, folks, last week I introduced you to Water Treatment Jeopardy. So once again, we're going to have an installment of Industrial Water Treatment Jeopardy on boilers. The gaseous phase of water is called this. What is steam? This is the vessel where condensed steamed and makeup water meet. What is the feed water tank? 
where solids accumulate in a water tube boiler. What is the mud drum? PV equals NRT is the equation for this law. What is the ideal gas law? The name given to the process of releasing sludge from the bottom of a boiler. What is blowdown? Well, folks, I hope you scored high on industrial water treatment jeopardy. I hope that that encourages you to go out and learn more about the equipment that you are working on. And there's so many different things to learn about with boilers. I was working with a company not too terribly long ago, and they were taking me to a survey to a new customer. Well, there's no doubt about it. Engineers are going to hook boilers up however it suits their needs. So you could have what is a steam boiler, the exact same design on a steam system in one location, and you might have the exact same steam boiler hooked up on a hot water system. It's not producing steam, it's just heating water. Now, in this case, when I was watching this company do the survey, they saw this as a steam boiler and they wrote it down as a steam boiler. Well, of course, they hired me to help them with their processes. And I asked them, is it really a steam boiler? And they said, yeah, look at it. Of course, it's a steam boiler. And I said, look at it more closely. What we found on that boiler was a circulation pump. Folks, if you ever see a circulation pump on what you think is a steam boiler, it is not a steam boiler. Steam does not need any pump for it to go where it is needed. Steam will do that all by itself. Water, however, does need a pump. So that's your lesson for today. If you ever see a circulation pump on a boiler, it's not a steam boiler, it is a hot loop boiler. There's no doubt about it. We as water treaters have our own special language. That language is demonstrated in our new very own line of water treatment specific t-shirts and accessories. Go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash shop to get yours today. Nation, yesterday, many of you were introduced to our favorite crime-fighting hero, Detective H2O. So without any further ado, here's today's installment of Detective H2O. Welcome to Detective H2O, the case of standing. The rain ran serpentine paths down the windows of the rusty blue Ford as Herbert Henry Oxidane, PICWT, sat waiting on Johnny Keelant to open the side powerhouse door of Pork Billy's processing. When the lanky man's shaggy head popped out, the water detective made a run for it, dodging raindrops best he could. Shaking buckets of water from his coat, Detective H2O said, I'm here, so what's going on, Johnny? I got here as fast as my bald tires would slide me. Glad you made it, Detective H2O. These boilers aren't doing good right now. The connectivity is through the roof. Higher than my grandma that time she ate those special brownies. How high? Well, she danced on the tables at the nursing home. 
Not your grandma, the boiler connectivities. They're over 10,000 microsiemens. The connectivity meter is pegged out. Detective H2O whistled. <whistles> that is high. What's happening? Any idea? None, but the RO permeate storage tank is at 1,500 microsiemens too. How's that possible? City water is only a few hundred microsiemens, and the RO drops it down to less than 10 typically. It's a real head-scratcher, this one is. And you don't feed any alkalinity booster or anything to the RO permeate storage tank, do you? No, nothing like that. How about your dechlorination feed, upstream of the RO? Is it malfunctioning and grossly overfeeding? No, I thought of that already. It has the same setting as always. I even watched and listened to the pump. Seemed the same as always as it pumped away. Checking the RO feed water conductivity after the pre-filters was the same as always too. It's a mystery. Don't you return condensate to this RO permeate storage tank too? I've always said you should rename this tank the RO permeate and condensate storage tank. Yes, we do, said Johnny as the thought slowly dawned upon him. Follow me, Johnny, said the water detective as he led the way through the maze of pipes and equipment. Five minutes later, he stood in front of the condensate polishers. Picking up the water treatment log sheets, Detective H2O saw that unit number two had come online just a few hours ago. What is it, Detective? Can we put this unit into manual regeneration right now? Uh, yes, but it just came online this morning. It shouldn't be anywhere near time for a regeneration. I realize that. Just humor me a little. Okay, here goes. Unit number one coming back online. Unit number two going offline and starting the backwash sequence. The water detective stood there beside Johnny, watching the regeneration water flow to the drain. The backwash stopped and the brine draw started. The brine level dropped as expected. Then the slow rinse step started. Aha! exclaimed Detective H2O, uncharacteristically. Quick! Go get that connectivity meter you use. Johnny ran off quick as a whip and returned shortly after with a black analog connectivity meter. What are we going to measure? There's no water coming out. I know. That's just as I suspected. Just wait. Several minutes later, water flow to the drain started again as the faster rinse step started. Detective H2O took the connectivity meter and measured the fast rinse each minute for the 15 minutes of the rinse. That's it. Fix that valve right there. That'll fix your boiler connectivities. Wait, what? Why that valve? How will that fix the boilers? As you saw, no water was flowing during the slow rinse step. The valve must not be functioning properly. Since the condensate polisher did not go through a slow rinse, all the salt and any exchanged ions did not get rinsed out of the polishing vessel. Even though it went through a fast rinse step, the connectivity only got down to 3,000 microsiemens at the end of this regeneration. When unit number two comes back online, it will be feeding this high connectivity water straight to the RO permeate storage tank, with the next stop being the boiler system. We found our culprit. Wow, Detective H2O. Let me check out that slow wrench valve. Sure enough, the valve was not functioning properly and was rebuilt. With increased blowdown and a little time, the boiler connectivities and RO permeate storage tank connectivity returned to normal. A week later, as Detective H2O was sitting at his oak desk, listening to the rain and thunder, his phone rang once, twice, three times before he answered.
Detective H2O here, the best water treater this side of the Ohio, solving water problems drop by drop. What you got? Detective, this is Marty Cochran down at Pork Billy's Processing. I've got a bone to pick with you. This bill you sent is outrageous. Johnny tells me you were here for only an hour, stood looking at one piece of equipment, took a few readings, and left. Why would you charge such an outrageous fee for only that? Well... $10 of the bill was for the gas to get to your plant. See, my Ford is a little gas-hungry. The rest isn't just for standing there, as he said. The rest is for knowing where to stand. You're welcome. In the underbelly and penthouses of the metropolis of Waterville, where the boilers percolate and cooling towers fog, there is one man who works tirelessly to end corrosion, stop scale, fight low-life microbes, and conserve water. That man is Detective H2O, best water treater this side of the Ohio, solving water problems drop by drop. James, these stories are great. Thank you so much for sharing them with us. And I'm kind of curious, do you have a funny boiler water story. I don't know if the story that I'm thinking of is funny, but it is true. When I first started working with my dad, there was a hybrid water tube, fire tube boiler at a lumber yard that we used to take care of. And there was actually a gentleman that used to work for my father that no longer worked for my father because of his inability to run his test properly. Now, this was early 90s that I'm talking about. So, and, and I don't know if those boilers are even in existence anymore, uh, but there was this huge tax credit around the 90s where if you bought this hybrid water tube, fire tube boiler, it almost paid for itself in tax credits. But the problem was, do you treat the water tube side one way? Do you treat the fire tube side another way? Well, you couldn't do that because they were all common water. So it created a lot of hot spots and a lot of issues. Well, the gentleman that was working with my dad that at that time no longer worked with him, he just refused to run the silica test. He thought the silica test took too long. It wasn't worth his time. And all of his other tests were resulting in within ranges of what the company said that they should be within. So he wasn't going to waste his time with this silica test. Well, folks, they were on well water. And wouldn't you know it, the limiting factor on that boiler was silica. Now, I don't know if you have ever seen silicate scale, but folks, it is glass and it will hardly come out of boiler tubes unless you use hydrofluoric acid. In my boiler memory, I was pretty young, I was working with my dad, and we were putting on these hazmat suits and we were using hydrofluoric acid. Folks, this stuff is nasty. It will change the chemistry of your blood so your heart doesn't wanna pump it anymore. This is nasty stuff. And this was one of my first introductions into the water treatment industry, full out working with my dad. So uh, you better believe I was paying attention. He commanded my respect through the entire process because his words is, if you don't do what I tell you to do, this stuff will kill you. 
Now in Georgia, where I live now, he probably would have added, it will kill you dead right there. I don't know why, but that's what they say down here. With that being said, that was my boiler story. I learned how to use hydrofluoric acid to take out silica scale. It was one of the most difficult things to date that I have ever done in my water treatment career. And with that, you better believe, I don't care if silica takes three hours to run, I wanna know how much silica is going in my boiler because I never want that experience again. Folks, what are you going to learn new about boilers today? What picture are you gonna to hashtag to IWW20? I hope you're thinking about these things. I hope at the end of this week, you have just amassed so much new information because you went out to look for it. So I can't wait to bring you another episode tomorrow for Industrial Water Week. Of course, tomorrow we're talking about cooling. But before I leave, I'm gonna leave you with a quote. A drop of water, if it could write out its own history, would explain the universe to us by Lucy Larkham. Have a great week, folks, and I'll see you tomorrow for Cooling Wednesday.